Welcome to the 27th meeting of Junto Club. On this episode, we briefly talk about doing what you should, getting energy from fusion rather than fission, and the mental model of first principle thinking. Our main topic is aging, healing, and physical resiliency. For any questions, comments, or if you'd like to rant on something important to you, email juntoclubpodcast at gmail.com. This is Junto Club. Welcome to meeting 27 of Junto Club. So Junto Club is modeled after Benjamin Franklin's Junto Club, which began in 1727. And at that Junto Club, Ben and all his friends would talk about philosophy and science and politics and a bunch of other stuff that interested them in order to better understand themselves and the world around them. And uh, we carry on that tradition as a means of improving upon ourselves and uh, helping each other improve. So, uh, yeah, we're Mike, Matt, and Shu, and we start every episode with a quote from Benjamin Franklin. So I'll let Shu take it away. All right. So today's quote is, quote, he that does what he should not shall feel what he, what he will not, end quote. Say that again. Um, actually, never mind. I have the wrong quote. I think so. Okay. <laughs> actually, Second let's, let's go. In a rush. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm, actually, let's let's go with the the one I just just say. Actually, okay. He that does what he should not shall feel what he would not. End quote. You said will fear or feel. Shall feel. So he who said that he should not what? He (laughs) that does what he should not. Okay, he does that what he should not. Okay. Shall feel what he would not. Should feel what he would not. So the per- so I guess if a person is doing something they should not, so doing something bad, presumably, then they should feel like Shall should feel, feel. Mm-hmm. they should feel bad. I mean, is it that simple? They should feel they'll feel something. Maybe they'll feel the excitement and rush of breaking the law. Yeah, I suppose that's true. So if they were supposed to be dead inside, but they, by committing, like, serial criminal acts, they get that rush of adrenaline. I was thinking about, like, petty crimes, like the grandma who, like, steals from a store for excitement. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Okay. I, I think this one is cautioning your, like, maybe your ethics and character, right? So if you're doing something that you should not, you will feel something that you would not otherwise right if you you so the feeling of maybe shame or regret you are not going to feel that feeling right but if you do something you should not you are going to feel that feeling of Mm. like i don't know something like that anyway no i I, that's sort of what i was going for in the first interpretation but i mean i guess it, it could yeah I mean, I don't know. It could. Okay. 
like if you lack morals, I guess it also works. Like, like as sort of as Matt was getting at, like you know, you could get a rush out of it. Oh, you could <laughs> feel you might get punished, and you're gonna feel the pain of that, right? Mm. So you know, the the rush thing was kind of a joke. I knew, you know, I don't think that's how Ben was trying to interpret it. But I actually don't really agree. If if the basically if this is what's if what this is trying to say is you'll feel shame when you do something bad, and that's how you know it's bad. I don't really agree because there's lots of people in society who do bad things and feel no shame about it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for some people that would work, but I feel like it's clearly not a, a rule of thumb or something you could use heavily. And, okay, all right. And people all right, are anyway, let's go prone. on. Go ahead. I said people are shame prone, so they can do things they're supposed to do and still feel shame. That's right. also true. Lots of people feel shame over stuff that's, you know, silly. Yeah. All right, let's let's go to the corner. I actually not official quote that I prepared for today. I don't know why I messed it up. But anyway, <laughs> the official quote is, quote, virtue and a trade are a child's best portion. End quote. What does that mean? Hmm. It means Benjamin Franklin was running out of good quotes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sorry. No. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What's the? What does he mean? A child's best portion? That's weird. Like, I mean, I guess like a child isn't corrupt, so virtue being a child's like best piece or something. I don't know what a but he, what he means by a trade. Trades maybe some kind of profession, right? A job. So like. So virtue, like, so being relatively innocent and uncorrupted and, like, learning to do something that they can do in the future is, like... Maybe this is about what you're giving to the child, right? Like, you give them a portion of food, so he's saying, like, the best thing you can give to a child is your virtues, like, ethical teaching and a trade, something they can do to support themselves, you know, which, I mean, that would make sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with Matt. Still, I think that's what I mean by portion. It could be like, yeah, I was thinking maybe it could be portion means like maybe part of the child, and like maybe like ninety percent of portion of the child or something. But I think I do like the interpretation of like just giving them food, right, as a portion, right? So. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll go All right. with that. <laughs> All right, that's good. <laughs> All right, let's go on to uh, the mini topics that we usually talk about. To start with, uh, I think uh, I want to talk about thinking about thinking. So I think previous, I don't know, one of the previous episodes we mentioned that. So anyway, so something, thinking is something I want to improve on. So I'm constantly like reading and searching things that to improve my thinking. So I guess uh, for, for to start, I want to ask you guys, like, what are you thinking? What do you guys think about? What are you thinking about? Thinking about thinking the new segment. I think that was one too many deep for me to follow. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think. Uh, right. No, I think metacognition is largely bad. Bad? Yes. What do you mean? What do you mean? What, what do you mean by that? I mean, I think it's healthy 
to do it once in a while, but ultimately, mm. as animals, we're not supposed to engage in metacognition. That's why humans commit suicide and things like that because we think too much. So we th- we should <laughs> wow, that's a that's, that took a very dark turn. That's <laughs> an interesting take. I like it. <laughs> so yeah, no, I mean, I think thinking about what, like why we think the way that, the way we do and things like that, like it's useful. I mean, I think in like, you know, like therapy, like I'm not like, I think therapy can be useful and stuff and like figuring out like why we get depressed and things like that. But I think if you're engaging in it all the time, it's largely negative. Or if you're engaging in it like very frequently, it's negative because it removes you from like the moment. And I think that as animals, we're supposed to be more reactive than we actually like going on sort of more basic drives. I think when we think like when we try to attribute things to like meaning to, to be on those basic drives or like living in the moment, that's what causes depression. So <laughs> I do have a question. So are you speaking from experience? Of course. Of course. <laughs> so, but okay. What about, uh, so I do, I think I do agree with you that if you're thinking too much, you get into your own way kind of, mm-hmm. so it kind of, it kind of too much chattering in your brain. But what about, you're saying about being reactive, but isn't being reactive is also bad because you're being re- impulsive on the time, right? So if you go to a store, you say, okay, I want, I want to eat sugar now. I just, you know, get a Coke or something like that. Is, isn't that bad too? Yeah, I mean, of course that is bad. But I mean, I think that, uh, so I, I, I think there is a balance that's probably he- like sort of healthy. Mm. But I mean, I think, I, of course, yes. I mean, the answer is you <laughs> should be balanced. But, I see, I see. I mean, yeah, I, I speak from experience as someone who falls too far on the sort of thinking about my own thinking sort uh, of, okay. you know, scale. So. Yeah, I guess I guess uh, the thinking about thinking, that's what I'm talking about, is more like, because I have been, like, a lot of times I don't think about some of the decisions I made, right, or some of the stuff that I do, I was just wondering, like, basically try to be more aware and mindful because i feel like sometimes i make a decision i don't like i don't really think about the decision i wasn't even aware that i was making a like maybe a potential like big decision Mm. or just like did not really think about things through right i just do it and stuff like that so i feel like and then sometimes even some of the decisions i feel i feel like even though i talk about a decision but i didn't really make a very good decision so i was like okay how do i be more mindful i guess the one one what i mean about thinking about thinking is more about being mindful of the thinking and then how to think better like to have a better like clear thinking that's that's what i'm talking i think that's what i meant right so <laughs> yeah anyway what's your thoughts matt mm. i think i think everyone should do some introduction to philosophy which is a great way to like learn how to think and structure mm-hmm. Yeah. your thoughts and arguments at least if it's a good philosophy class um and that's not exactly a metacognition right because you're not yeah. usually you're not explicitly like discussing how you think but they're presenting you a way of thinking essentially uh you know about trying to be like logical and how you analyze things and i think that's a useful it's a very useful skill mm. um that's my that's my thoughts that's what i think about when you discuss this, also like engineering and computer science yeah. and stuff also kind of ingrained similar thought patterns into you. But hmm. uh, I think philosophy is a great non-technical way to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, 
All right. So cool. Let's, I would say let's leave uh, Mike's interpretation. I'm thinking about thinking for in the future. I think there's a very big topic as well. You know, meditation is one way to do that as well To you know, but anyway, so one, so thinking about thinking is about like, uh, one, one way, one way of doing like the problem, problem solve, solving way of thinking, uh, is that is to have a toolbox of like mental models, mm. right? Have you guys heard about those mental models before? Yeah. I mean, I've heard of mental models before. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. So basically, you know, a lot of like people like Charlie Munger, Elon Musk, and all the other people always say, oh, yeah, you should have different, have a lot of different models that you, mental models. And that way, when you encounter a decision, maybe you can pull some of these, these mental models out and then try to, you know, analyze the problem, try to come up with a good decision. So today, the one of the mental model I want to talk about is the first, something called first principle thinking. So I guess, uh, what do you guys know about, have you know anything about uh, first principle thinking? Is it related to the, like, sort of the mathematical idea of like first principles, like deriving something from like a set of known assumptions and sort of building up? Yes, yes, yeah. What about you, Mike? Oh, that's good, that's good. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, you hear a lot of people talk about like, and it's like discussion sometimes, oh, you need to think from first principles and stuff like that. And that's basically what it means. Like, um, like if you Google like first principle thinking, I think Elon Musk will usually come out a lot of people giving as an example. Because uh, in a way, he, he actually like uh, credit like first principle thinking basically based, uh, to his, like a lot of his like thing approach, the way that he approached our problems. Like one 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 example he liked to give is like the way he started like SpaceX, right? Because at the beginning when he started SpaceX, he was like, okay, we need he want to go send people to Mars, right? And then when he want to look around to buy a rocket like from like Russia or other like countries, and say, oh, a rocket actually cost like sixty five million dollars, so that was a lot of money, right? So he's like, oh yeah, so then so basically. It's almost like impossible in a way, right? It's so expensive. And then he basically, you know, break it down, break the rocket down into his individual components and say, okay, this, you know, this part, you know, if I made this part from aluminum, you know, copper, all the other stuff, you know, when, when he did a calculation, he add this up, you know, it's like, oh, you can do it. And I maybe in one building raw from just raw material is basically just $1 million, right? And with the other stuff, you can probably do it in like $10 million, right? So, so then anyway, that's a lot. That's one example that people like to give is how Elon Musk is the first principle thinking to basically to solve a lot of like big problems, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts? It sounds like it can be a good way to, I guess, try to break away from like assumptions that Mm -hmm. like you or like other people already have about a problem, right? Because it's, like rather than coming in like being like this is what i know like rockets are expensive right or yeah this is like the state of the industry you just kind of sort of from first principles derive what you think is possible and say okay maybe this is an opportunity that's been missed or overlooked for whatever reason mm-hmm. yeah exactly it's like sometimes we, i think we are a lot we are not aware it's nice could be in a conventional wisdom or stuff that people tell you that you just sometimes you just took it as a like the truth, right? 
but until you like you, when you start questioning these assumptions and you start like dig deeper, you realize actually when you go to the fundamental truth, like physics, right? In the, the in physics, of course, in the first principle and the law of physics, right? You can't go speed, uh, you can't go faster than the speed of light. So you break everything down into the fundamental thing that you know is the truth, right? And then from there, you build it up again to come up with a, maybe a different solution for the problem you try to solve. Yeah. So yeah, so basically, of course, and uh, the first step, of course, if you're using this method is basically to identify your assumptions and then question assumptions and then be like a child, I guess, keep asking why, right? Just keep on why this is true, you know, why, 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 you know, it can be annoying, but you know, that's, that's one way of doing it. And first principle thinking is, is a good way of doing it, but of course it's, it's sometimes it could be, it takes effort, right? Slow. So which, and in contrast to like thinking by analogy, right? Have you guys heard about, heard about that? Maybe not explicitly in that term, but I, I think everyone's familiar yeah. with using analogies to like think about something. Okay, like like what? Like you know, what was it when we had our UBI discussion? You were like, you know, we should teach a man to fish, not. You know, mm. give him you give him a fish, it's True. fed for a gotcha, day. You teach gotcha, him how yeah. to fish, he's fed for life, right? Like yeah, analogy. Yeah. yeah. Sports and war. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so a lot of time people I think when they approach a problem, they thinking about analogies like, okay, using past experience, right? Instead of coming up with a solution like from from using principle from the ground up, right? You basically see maybe there's a another problem, similar problem is all is already being solved using a different mm. one solution. You basically apply similar solution to your new problem, basically, right? It's faster, but sometimes you, you, you might you might come up with the best solution, basically. So it's fast, but it's faster, right? So anyway, so that's something. Uh, so I guess, uh, okay, so last question for you guys is, is there something that you guys want to do but not doing because you think it is too hard right now? I mean, the only thing I can think of is sort of like start a, like, uh, it's like I always say at some point I would want to start a company, but yeah. I don't want to dedicate the time it takes to do it yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, why? Well, yeah, so I guess the the from first principle, they would say, you know, maybe start questioning why, why do you, you know, why do you think it's going to take too much time, right? It might not be. I'm not saying that he's not, he won't, that's not true. I'm just saying that, you know, maybe you can start questioning those assumptions. Is that assumption or is that truth, right? Is that really going to take a lot of time, right? Well, I mean, based on what I understand, the time it takes to like, you know, like, I mean, you need to seek out resources that you don't have. You need to like construct a, you know, a product that's desirable, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so i mean it's it's like there's lots of pieces i guess that require attention so i i feel like it's probably true probably true but might not be true maybe <laughs> anyway so anyways yeah you you could use basically i mean anything is that you are thinking or basically yeah just re-examine these using like question because question those assumptions is that if you think it's true then it's maybe it's true but yeah anyway so Cool. So, yeah, go ahead. I think let's go on to the 
next topic on the you have another one called energy iter so i only found out about this recently and i thought it was really interesting so have y'all ever heard about iter in no. france it's a fusion plant right mm-hmm. and uh i heard i saw something because they're like we're 78 percent done but this is like the biggest and most advanced fusion plant that's ever been built. And it's supposed to do two things. It's going to actually generate more power than it consumes. And it's going to like sustain like long, like fusion for long durations, right? Because there's been like smaller ones that have like done some fusion, but it's always like negative in energy and typically short lived. Um, so this is like a, you know, like massive facility where they have huge like I mean, they basically have like a factory for generating like cryogenic fuel for the reactor itself and like, you know, all this other stuff. And they say the the reactor is the most advanced machine humans have ever built is what, is what they claim when I started watching some stuff on it. But it's pretty exciting. So this won't be like a viable commercial power plant, even though it'll generate some power, right? It's mostly still like a testing, mm-hmm. but it's it's supposed to test like actual like you know, close enough to industrial scale that like, if it works, theoretically, they could use the results from that as both like to learn a little bit more and to like as a demonstration to say, okay, let's go build now a fusion plant for actual power. So is this a nice startup? No, this is a big multinational effort. So like a uh. bunch of countries have uh, invested in it, including the US. I don't know how much money. Everyone does. So even this, you say this one, how how many, how much power are you going to generate? Ooh, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to look it up. It's not going to be like a super, like, well, on one hand, it's going to generate a lot of power, but it also consumes a lot of power. Because if, so fusion reactors generally basically use magnets to create like a, electromagnets to create like a super dense like compact field. So they take enormous amount of power to run. So by virtue of them saying they're going to generate more power than they put into it, it's going to create a lot of power, but I don't know what their expected net like output is going to be. Hmm. Well, so what's the, I guess, what's the basic principle of fusion? Uh, create a mini sun. Is it, what so, does so fusion you know, mean? Does it, do they fuse the atoms yeah. together? Yeah. So the sun, because of the super heavy gravity in the sun, atoms will actually fuse together like hydrogens atoms will fuse into helium and in that process they release a lot of energy so Mm. like that's what makes stars run Mm. um so fusion reactors are trying to do that same thing so it's kind of like the opposite of fission which is what most nuclear power plants are where atoms break apart have like Mm -hmm. you know nuclei get ejected or something else uh, or neutrons get ejected or something else but um yeah but the thing is that normally takes like an enormous amount of pressure. So they use these giant electromagnets. They super cool with like liquid nitrogen or something. I don't know if that's what they use, but they super yeah. cool these giant electromagnets and try to create this field of like plasma that, that they like compress super tightly with the magnets. And then, you know, if they get this hot, extremely compressed, you know, plasma together, then fusion can start happening. And, and did you say they use, they try to hide to, fuse hydrogen atoms together that was an example i oh. do not know what they're going to try to fuse together i wouldn't yeah. be surprised if it was hydrogen mm. did they mention it gotcha. i don't know L- like a I... light element <laughs> yeah i know a lot of con- a lot of startups try to do instead of electric fuel not electric electric vehicle they try to use the hydrogen as a fuel right so mm. 
Yeah, it's supposed to have gaseous hydrogen, blah, blah, blah. That's cool. Looks like it is hydrogen at a glance. I didn't look into a lot of the details. Like, I knew the basic concept of fusion, but I wasn't looking at the technical details. I was more interested in, like, the large scale, like, oh, they're going to be trying to build, like, a a plant that actually produces power through fusion. I do hear... Yeah, go ahead. On the flip side, it feels like nuclear plants are already could be our all the power we need right and we can't get those are too expensive to build mostly it seems like right um and a fusion power plant's like a nuclear plant scaled up like it's just going to be more large more expensive more complex but, but it doesn't like have doesn't, the, yeah it doesn't have the same safety issues there's no uh radiate like it's it doesn't have like i don't think it will create radioactive fuel or anything like that um mm. So there, I mean, there are some advantages and it's, it's the sort of thing where if you stopped running it, it would just, you know, shut down. It may, even if it got damaged, it, I don't think it could cause a natural uh, disaster, right? Yeah. Because if you're okay. not sustaining the fusion reactor with an enormous amount of power, it's just going to stop. Uh, okay. Um, got you. And there's no, nothing like nuclear waste, similar stuff like that. Right. The, yeah. the fused... If they're fusing hydrogen, I don't think the fuse elements would get close to something big enough to be radioactive. Yeah. Those are usually heavier elements. Yeah. I guess the main thing, the main event, it doesn't have no like public negative public uh connotation to it, right? So mm-hmm. no. yeah. I uh, I also I think why Google they actually I heard like George Jeff Be- Bezos also like invest invested like a few hundred million dollars into one of startups doing like fusion as well. So interesting. Could be in the future. I mean, fusion is such a large scale thing. I'd be very skeptical of a startup, like a big multinational project. Mm. It's like, okay, that I could see that succeeding. Like an individual startup, that seems tough. But I maybe mean, maybe the startup has a clever idea about how they can, you know, yeah. reduce the problem somehow. But but Jeff Bezos, right? He has a network of a country, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is true, but. <laughs> I guess it depends how much he's investing into it. But anyway, Mike's looking bored. He doesn't care about fusion power. (laughs) No, no, no. No, I was just reading over my notes because I, like, put together a lot of notes last night. So All right, all right. Before you go there, I guess I want to, since you're talking about healing, I want to go, do do I need to worry about Delta variant at all? Have you guys paid attention to the variant? Uh, Since you guys are vaccinated, you probably don't care. Mostly the latter. Yeah. It's supposed to be more contagious but less dangerous, right? Which is how mm. most viruses progress. Right. And yeah, from what I understand, if it's the vaccine is doing pretty well against it. So it's mostly mm. people who are unvaccinated who are Yeah. You know. I, I guess I just more worry about like people around me who are not vaccinated. You know, if I go and, you know, get into contact, I may get infected and then I mean, I, I I know I'm I'd be fine, right? Because I'm vaccinated already. But I'm mostly worried about like people around me who are not vaccinated. I don't. I just don't <laughs> hang around with people like that many. <laughs> like I can't think of anyone I hang around with regularly who isn't. So I got you. Such yeah. an elitist. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, but yeah, no. It's. I mean, it, it is. Uh, you know, it's worth. I mean, it, it's more worth like just like the fact that additional variants keep emerging that's more the concern because mm. in theory, uh, i guess there could be like a variant that's like bad yeah but hopefully it'll just die out 
But. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. we can get our body to heal ourselves. That way we can, you know. Like, I think at this point, COVID's probably going to be more like the flu, right? Like yeah. something that continues to go around. Uh, hopefully it gets a little less deadly over time. But <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's not how viruses work, right? Well, viruses I mean, don't really get an advantage from killing the people they infect, right? Uh, so I think there is a trend. I mean, it's not like a rule, but I think there's a trend that most viruses actually become less deadly over time if they are deadly. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. just because it's adaptive pressure to be contagious, not kill the host. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. If they want to survive, they want to keep the humans alive as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Was Mine there any is... anything else on energy? I didn't mean to derail that. I was just no, like, I, I didn't look into it <laughs> that much. So I was just like, I don't know what to say. So I'll review my notes. I mean, the exciting stuff is still going to be a few years away when they finish it and run it, right? I did there. I don't think there's anything that crazy. I just never even heard of it, like mm-hmm. period. And I saw when I did start looking into stuff on it, some people were like, "Yeah, people like no one has heard about this outside of like the science community that's involved with it." And I'm like, "Well, that's mm-hmm. weird. Maybe they're just waiting to get the hype up, you know, when it's actually close, like about to finish." But right. I mean, if it works, it's going to be a very exciting, very cool project. Uh, and they are the most, the majority of the way through it. So we just have what to about be patient. A, what about climate change? Is it, I, I assume it's very, very good for the climate as well. Well, I mean, it's another source of zero carbon energy potentially. Hmm. But again, I mean, we already have good nuclear. working nuclear plants that do that anyway. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, it's not bad. It's cool, but it's like, for climate change purposes, I, I imagine it'd be a little slow. By the time this finishes, tested, and then you can build new ones, and these are massive things. Like that's going to be fifteen years at least, right? I think we might need to do something up for energy production before then. But you know, mm-hmm. in the long term, maybe it will become a good source. Right. Mm. No. Yeah. I mean, I I think as she was saying, like it, it it's positive maybe in this like it, if I mean it's it comes down to marketing I think again like where like can they sell it to the public as like this is you know safe and you know and, like an alternative to you know because I mean nuclear plants uh, you know the expense and the I guess negative press have derailed what could have been like a pretty important solution so mm-hmm. yeah yeah all right that's all right yeah no, google teach, iter i-t-e-r if you want to know more that's okay it. okay all right now teach me teach us how to heal ourselves mike all right well i i mean the, the first thing i want to do is basically and you can just ignore what i wrote below it but I wanted to ask you guys, like, what you, like, so when you need to heal, like, what does it mean? Like, what do you need to heal from? So, like, negative energy that the world puts out. (laughs) No. Um, I mean, for me, it's, I'm not like a super physical guy, but it's probably when I do something like working out or some sport or something and I get like a minor injury, bruise, pull. Mm -hmm. Those are the sort of things that, the only things I really have in my day-to-day life. Well, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, to me, for when I talk, when I think about healing, and why I just think about Wolverine, right? X Men, 
you know, you know, when you get, you know, get cut, get shot in the head, you heal yourself, you know, that's really ultimately what I want to be, right? So that's what I think about when I think about healing. You know, I'm going to just take over for a little bit. Well, not really take over. I'm just going to say, you know, when you're trying to build muscle or work out to do anything, right? It's all about you literally break your body and then it gets rebuilt, healed better, stronger, right? Like that's how the process works. So if you can improve healing, you can theoretically improve training a lot. So now I'm interested. Okay. Well, I mean, is an aging also basically basically just a damaging process? And if you can heal your new new healing is about a regeneration kind of way, right? Thing. So if you maybe if you can do better fat heal faster, regenerate more cells, then maybe you will slow down aging. All right. Well, before we get ahead. So, um, I, okay. So I'm going to make the claim that essentially what requires you to heal is anything that requires a fluctuation from some healthy baseline. So like you were talking about, like a simple, I mean, any type of injury, whether that be simple or severe, like a cold or disease, I mean, even like, I mean, your body has to heal, like, say you don't, like, you eat a lot of sugar or something. Like, I mean, like, the nutritional, <laughs> this, like, you can get dehydrated and need to heal. And you, or you can make poor nutritional decisions and need yeah, to, like, get your, dehydrated, like, when you get drunk. Yes. I mean, so, I mean, I have under there drinking alcohol, which is literally, like, poisoning your body. So, I mean... Your liver literally needs to fill, like liver, you know, your livers and kidneys work to like filter different things, you know, even when you're on medications, like they need to like work to extract those and, and your body needs to excrete them. So, I mean, all of those, like all of these are sort of like examples of healing, which is basically returning your body to some healthy baseline where essentially it's like, like you're not feeling negative. Mm. Like when you're feeling like, I feel like when you're in a healthy and like good state, your body is almost like, like you're not paying attention to your body. Like, so, I mean, that's Mm. basically it. So, okay. So uh, basically I did not look a whole lot into sort of the mechanisms by which healing, like sort of like the well-known mechanisms by which healing takes place. Like, I guess if you get like an injury, like a cutter or or something, I mean, yeah, there's platelets that, like, essentially clot the cut. Um, You know, red blood cells work to, like, put tissue in place to, like, help cover over the cut, like, and make a scab. And ultimately, like, you know, the scab will fall off. And, you know, like, the different cells in your body will come in, like, come in and, you know, create new tissue. I mean, similar to, like, what Matt was talking about with, like, building muscle. Like, you injure yourself like the the cells that play those roles, like will come in, do their job and, you know, heal the muscle and potentially make more muscle tissue. So mm. I guess in a well, like a healthy body, so a, a body capable of healing, I was like, in a way that's uninteresting to me because it's like, it's sort of like following algorithms that like people who study physiology and medicine, like have pretty well defined at this point. Mm-hmm. So I guess um, I, healing. Yes. Oh, you mean a mechanism of the healing? Correct. Yes. Oh, okay. So like, like I, I mean, I put a link basically looking at like 
you know, like, I guess it takes you through like the, like the three to five week process that occurs. Mm. Like if you get like a cut that's bleeding mm. and you know, it will, it talks the, like, so I put a link on like the document of like from just like Healthline, you know, one of like or WebMD or one of those types yeah. of websites where basically it's like, you know, the, the cut clots, you know, these are the cells involved in making new s- tissue. These are the cells involved in ensuring it doesn't get infected and, you know, on and on and on so uh so, so you, that you, yeah so you don't you're not interested in the fundamental truth of how body heals so why are you interested in so well i guess i'm i mean i won't say i'm not interested in but if I, I feel like for the purposes of the podcast i was like this isn't interesting if i talk mm. about like if i just read an article on yeah, like how blood sense. cells like how blood cells heal yeah, I, I'm more. I guess I was more interested in, uh, like, what does our uh, ability to heal sort of depend on, and mm. what I guess what changes. Um, yeah, because like, so as we age, our ability to heal changes. Mm. Um, uh, so I guess so. One, what does our ability to heal depend on? That's something mm-hmm. I can ask you to like. What when you think about like. Uh, okay, I need to get over this cold or I need to get over this injury. Like, what do you do to make that happen? That's a, that's a very, you remind me of a story of Benjamin Franklin, actually. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> he, he's the one that talk about, oh, you need to, back in the day, you need to open a window, right? A lot of people are like shutting their windows closed. Now, even, I think in one day, he was sleeping with John Adam in the same bedroom. You know, <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, something we had to get into on another podcast. Yeah. yeah right. So, so, so he, John Adam had a cold, right? And then, and then Benjamin Franklin quickly uh, jumped out of the bat and then opened the windows. So, because he was, he has a theory. He has a theory of cold is that is no air. He, you need fresh air to come in, so you can, because uh, the, I guess the. The stale air in the room gonna is carrying the virus as well, right? So anyway, so so he opened a window and then that's how he basically uh, did not get a call from John Adam, even though they were sleeping in the same bed. <laughs> okay. So uh, all right, Matt, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, so you asked what you do or what I do if I like get sick or get injured or something. Correct. Yes. I mean, pretty much the only thing I do is try to rest a little bit, right? Proportional yeah. to how bad it is. Like, you know, if something's hurt, I don't go exercise with it. You know, if I'm sick, I'm not going to go run or something. Right. But I don't really do much besides yeah, increase rest a little bit. Yeah. For me, I think sleep, sleep is the best medicine. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, that's true. So basically, I mean, I sort of thought of it as three different things, like, and I, I think you referred to at the very least, like two of them, but sort of all three of them, maybe less explicitly, is um, basically you, it's your body's sort of one, your body, like your body has the resources to allow you to heal. Um, two, your environment is conducive to healing. And three is like the extent to which like you are injured or need to heal. Mm. So like those three things, like I guess to sort of, I thought of as like determining your ability to heal. So if like, I mean, you're young. What's the last one? 
like so the uh, the last one is the severity of like the illness injury whatever so so i mean like obviously if you're young and you're dealing with like a you know you're hit by a car i mean that can produce an injury that like you cannot heal from yeah Uh, but if you're uh you know whereas um like you know if you have like a cut and you're young like it'll you know i mean your body repairs it in uh, like a day or whatever mm-hmm. and uh so and i guess so your environment uh, uh like is also important sort of as you got into with the benjamin franklin story so essentially i mean if you're dealing with like say you have like the flu mm-hmm. and you uh I mean, modern day, you you know, you have the flu. You're able to sleep in like a house that where your body temperature can be like you know, like you know, the external temperature can be like really re- well regulated, so your body doesn't have to work to regulate itself. Like, and you're able to sleep like on a nice mattress and just like eat eat lots of food to give your body like the nutrients it needs to fight the infection. Like all of that is conducive to healing where it's, whereas, okay, yeah, 1727 and you're in Benjamin Franklin's time and it's winter and you have pneumonia, Mm -hmm. like, like your body, like you may not be able to recover because you're like, it may be freezing in your apartment or in your apartment. The environment is important. Yeah. Okay. Yes, in your log cabin, you may be freezing and your body may, like, you may not have the resources to like regulate temperature. Okay. So. So I would say those three things are sort of important to healing. So, I mean, environments like in today's day and age, like given uh, as we've talked about on previous podcasts, like we live in a relatively well-to-do country where a lot of people are housed and can afford like reason, like they can afford reasonable nutrition. Um, So, I mean, I would contend that I mean, at least, and obviously, like, you know, like, you don't necessarily have, like, a super, like, you don't have control over, like, the severity, I guess, of the injury, right? Hmm. So, like, or the severity of the condition. Like, I mean, if you're hit by, like, if you're shot or hit by a car or, I mean, like, all, like, all of those types of things are a little bit out of our control, um, so like you can get a serious injury at any point, but I would contend that less serious insults. So, I mean, we talked about like, I mean, just like day to day, you're, you know, like insulting your body in some way, right? Like, even if you like just going for a walk is like forcing your muscles to activate in ways that like, you know, can damage them and we're exposed to like, sort of like germs like you know viruses bacteria like that may do some damage to our body like every single day Mm. so um so i mean basically it it, like through like in day-to-day life your body needs to be able to like respond to even the most basic basic of insults so i guess um what i thought of is like sort of interesting or sort of the piece of like what makes you able to heal that i thought is interesting and what changes over time is your bot like sort of your body's ability to respond to those insults, like outside of just like like environmental factors and sort of the like the insults themselves. I was like, so what changes in our body? Um or what evidence is there that our body like is less able to like because I mean everyone sort of talks about aging. Uh over like everyone talks about like oh aging's hard because 
you know, uh, like, you know, you're sore, like you're always sore, like even, uh, you know, even just doing basic things, like you get like arthritis and your body's unable to sort of like, I guess, respond to, you know, those types of insults as it would when you were younger. Yeah. So, so, so you mentioned you found something interesting. What's the interesting, what's, what, what is the interesting you found? Right. So, well, I guess, so a, a paper that, uh, so what inspired this idea last week is there's a paper that came out that essentially says because of our body, like our body's lack of, um, like our, I guess, lack of ability to, or to respond to these like basic insults, like, uh, you know, so like the day to day life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the daily grind. Yeah. The daily grind. Exactly. Uh, so they, make the claim that sort of a maximum age if we are sort of age as we currently do a sort of maximum age that we can live to is between 120 and 150 mm-hmm. so that is wow yes yeah, so that is the paper that like i I, ha- I still have 100 years to go <laughs> yes exactly so so i mean <laughs> so nice. i mean and, uh, yeah go ahead sorry matt yeah oh no I, I, didn't. I think he was just laughing. Yes. So, I mean, well, I read another paper. So another paper. So I guess I was going to end on this. But the uh, there's an optimistic paper that says more and more people will live to be over 110 during, like, this century. Like, if you examine, like, the trend, like, more and more people will, you know, get to super, like, cent- you know, whatever 100 is, cent- centarian mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so, but in any case, yes. Yeah. So, but, but to start with, like, so when I, of course you read the headline, you're like, oh, the oldest people can live if they age as they currently do is 120 to 150. And I'm like, like what evidence, I guess, is there? Like, I, I guess it's interesting to me, like, how can you make that claim? Right. So, okay. um, basically, uh, so I looked into the paper and basically, well, what do you do, do? Do you just read a paper in random, or did you just like? What? No, I mean, yeah, well, I, why did you read the paper in the first place? I'm curious. What? What? Well, what do you mean? Because I saw the I headline, mean, and I was like, "That's." Oh, you saw the headline. Naya saw news something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, I mean, okay. this is. I mean, this is a pretty recent paper, I think. Oh, so. Oh, so you read a headline, and then you delve deeper, and then you find a research paper. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gotcha, so, gotcha. I mean, this paper. Uh, let's see here. So this paper came out in, I think, May of 2021. Mm. So I so I think it's like a very recent paper. Okay. But um, so longitudinal analysis of blood markers reveals progressive loss of resilience and predicts human lifespan limit. So that mm. is the name of the paper. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, so basically, even if we cured all diseases, you know, the by 150, our body would just break down unless we somehow reverse aging effects. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's, that is, uh, in a sense, sort of what they're getting at. Yeah. Is even some of the most, like, a basic of sort of injuries is, uh, like, would have ultimately caused us to break down and die, even if we didn't necessarily have something, like, acute that, like, or not, something that we would think of as, a, like, I mean, everyone, uh, like, cause of death that, you know, like, heart attack, heart disease, like, cancer, like, those types of things we always think about. But, like, those are, I guess, acute causes for, or like I guess the acute reason for things like our body not functioning well for a much uh, longer time. So, so then that's why you were talking about walking around, you know, these daily grinds damaging to your body mm-hmm. is because eventually gonna cause even these tiny small damages gonna cause you to your body to break down. They all add up. So yes. I, I so we are literally dying as we are leaving, is that what you're saying? Yes. As I said, this was not going to be an uplifting episode. So, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, looking into this paper. So, I guess, I mean, sort of one of the questions that I thought about was, uh, or I sort of thought, like, is aging always bad? Like, to myself, mm. that's one thought I had going into this paper. And they, they're very quick to say, like, no. Like, obviously, like, so, I mean, at the beginning of our lives, obviously, like, from you know zero to i mean i don't know 30 or something like yeah i mean really like there's a decent chunk of our lives where we're essentially maturing right like mm. certainly zero to at least our 20s i mean our brain is still like growing, growing. Yeah. yeah so i mean and, and i think that makes sense like uh, it makes sense that we like we can't come out as full humans because like i mean i think it does yeah. help like to grow up in a certain place because it gives your body like the opportunity to like evolve like i guess evolve at like or fit your environment so I mean, adapt I, would be the right word yes here. that's yeah yes, especially that's adapt, yes. especially for men i i heard that men's brain is not fully developed until like 30 or 35 so i heard men's brains never fully develop yes that's, that's better. just what my wife said <laughs> Oh, that's okay. who who oh, say that? Thing. No, I was just kidding. She never said that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yes. So uh yeah, so I mean maturation and growth is necessary to adapt. Yeah, that's the word I couldn't think of to your environment. But ba- so I guess big idea of the paper is aging isn't bad to sort of that point of maturation, but aging like they sort of say aging post 40 is basically bad because like you don't bounce back as well from like that those deviations in your healthy baseline so that's sort of their thesis it's not thesis i feel it already so it's truth (laughs) (laughs) yes well maybe it starts at 35 but all right i got a question that Mm -hmm. you may have not read anything about but Mm-hmm. I know I've seen occasionally like these like exceptional cases of like, oh, like the 70 year old who runs triathlons, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, I don't know, just I in general, like, what do you think about that? And then secondarily, do you think that's more like they're anomalous or do you think like consistent exercise can make like that big of a difference in terms of how you age or how your body handles aging? No, I mean, I definitely, so, I mean, are they anomalies? Yes. Um, but I, I mean, I do think that, like, I mean, there's certainly things w- when it comes to, like, smoking, 
yeah, like, do you smoke? Do you, like how you eat? And I mean, those have definitely been tied to like some of the markers of aging that I was, that I'll talk about in a little bit. And I would imagine that, uh, I would imagine that basically if you were to look at like the shit, like say, you know, like the person at 70 who it's like they were in really bad shape at 50 or something. And they like were like spent the last 20 years, like getting in really good shape. Like I would imagine that you would see, like, if you looked at sort of the trend of like some of the markers, like, like telomere length or things like that, like maybe you would see like the trend, um, like pre 50, like it may have been like the length of like, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, telomeres are like sort of the end of DNA strands that are protect DNA essentially. And like, it, like they get shorter over the course of your life. And they are one of the things that are theorized to be like very intimately tied to aging. So like uh, they may have been getting like shorter, faster pre 50. And when the person like made like very, a very conscious effort to like shift to a more healthy lifestyle, that rate of shortening may have st- like slowed down. I mean, it's never going, I guess the key point is it's not going to stop it. But I mean, there's things like, you know, does the person smoke? Like, does the person eat healthy? Like those types of things that are tied to like slower shortening of telomeres, like, and other like markers of aging. So, so I guess, yeah. Yeah. Have you guys heard the guy called Arthur Davini? Davini, I think. I don't think so. He's a professor of economics and at University of California, Irvine. He's famous for his like uh, very cut, physics even when he was like 75 i think i really cut so yeah uh oh yeah well anyway yeah no i mean there's always like you know the video of like the 90 year old deadlifting like you know 200 pounds or something (laughs) oh wow what yeah i i i think i feel like back i I think i was still a tech but like Mm -hmm. i think matt sent me a video of like this guy like deadlifting more than i was to make fun of me and i was (laughs) and he wasn't just like old he like looked geriatric right like he like hobbled up like his back's really arched like totally white hair like he looks like he could be in a nursing home and then yeah and then he like throws up a couple hundred pounds on the bar and it's like okay yeah holy shit (laughs) yeah so I mean, so yes, these are anomalies, but, and I, but I do think that it does like, it helps, but it's not a, like, I guess there's a difference between like, uh, like helps and like a cure. So it's not like a cure for aging, but it like slows down aging. Right. It's, it's sort mm-hmm. of like, you know, like a treatment for, you know, some like chronic condition. It's like, it's going to help, help with the symptoms, but not cure the condition. If mm-hmm. aging is a condition. <laughs> so which so which crystal do I have to buy to actually cure it? You know, uh, I don't know. I'll 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 leave that to the mystics out there. So, <laughs> but I mean, so in any case, uh, so how so to get back, I guess, how does this paper like sort of uh, make the claim that age like our maximum lifespan is between 121 and 50 Mm -hmm. so basically they use uh so complete blood counts um so i I, do do you know what i assume both of you have had like a complete count blood test at some point in your life not really what do you mean i think so 
I I mean, so blood count, like counting the different cells in your blood. In the, in the I, essentially, yes. I mean, Bleed so just that, means it's counting everything. Yeah. So it's I mean, well, yeah. So I mean, it's a pretty common blood test if you get like a yearly physical. I mean, they won't do it all the time if you like if you're not complaining about something, but like. They'll do it to check for like anemia and like I mean if so yeah. Do y'all count. actually get yearly physicals? I I don't. I I usually I mean there were a couple of years of tech I didn't but I I normally do. So this is yeah this is a sidetrack but I remember me and Kit had this discussion once because I was like I didn't think anyone did that and she's like I always get a yearly physical and I'm like okay yeah <laughs> yes like I'm not he sick might- so I'm not gonna go to the doctor yeah. Anyway, I think most I think most Americans do, but you are maybe do you are you? just you know really yeah, I think so yeah. Cause I think because it's covered by healthcare, right? You if you have any time insurance, it's free anyway. Why don't you go do it? All right, whatever. Side like, issue. Like, my, my yeah. Benjamin Franklin say, an ounce of prevention is worth an ounce of cure, right? So a pound of cure. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That uh, yes, so that that is true. So the so the complete blood count is essentially like sort of that. Well, I mean, I guess it's not prevention, but it's it's like a good in it's a good early indicator that something may be wrong. Like your bl- white blood cell count being like low or high can I mean high indicates infection, like low can indicate some type of like you know the beginnings of like cancer to like help you catch like a cancer early or something like so, that. So so what's the normal uh, black on. Well, I mean, there's standard ranges for each thing. So they look at like mm-hmm. red blood cell, white blood cell. Like, I mean, I, I don't know how f- recently you got some type of blood work, but like for almost every blood test on earth, there's like, mm-hmm. oh, here's your standard range. And it's like, do you fall above, below, or in between? Okay. Like standard range. Mm-hmm. So, um, so as you get older, the, uh... I'm assuming your blood count getting like is it a ratio between the between black I mean red and white or is it they both get Yeah, reds? no, they both have a standard range. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so they, they 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 basically the getting less as you get older basically. Well no, no, well, well no 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 no. So so the, the, not necessarily. So huh. so basically you have this CBC, which tells you like, this is how many red blood cells, like, you know, this is how many red blood cells, you know, you have per, you know, milliliter or whatever. This is how many white blood cells. This is how many platelets. This is the iron, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, So basically what this, so, I mean, this is a very standard blood test, tons and tons of data. And basically this blood test is like a, it could be considered like a measure of overall health, like I say, because it's used to as sort of a first thing to identify a lot that can go wrong with you. Okay. So basically they, um, Oh oh, yeah. You, why are you not in your head, man? (laughs) Because he's, Mike's been circling this point for like a few minutes now. (laughs) I'm trying to get him to go. Stop distracting him, Shu. No, for me, it was like, because I don't know anything about, anything about biology. So he's like, okay, this is all new information to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So okay, they use so basically the paper started by using y- your normal PCA on these CBC variables, right? Okay. So okay. dimensionality reduction. Principal so base component analysis is what PCA means for the yes. viewers. Yes. And basically, they projected this down to just a couple of dimensions, mm-hmm. and it get and it, it very clearly like the like when they plotted it. Like from age zero to like age 35, 
there was okay. like a linear increase. In what? In so in the like uh, uh so when they did the principal component analysis, like so the like basically the top dimensions from that they like they uh, essentially when you do pca you project to lower dimensional space yeah i understand that i'm saying that what increasing what you say increasing something but i just so so increasing a lot so like if you look at the the, if you plot like the top like two or three dimensions yeah from the pca okay like you see increase along those dimensions with age Oh, I see. I see. You saying the correlation between correlation between the first and second dimension with your aging increase. The correlation increase a lot. Increase, right? Sure. Uh, sure. Yes. There's a line moving in the positive of both, like dimension one and two, as you age from like zero to thirty, right? Okay. Okay. And then there, from like forty to sixty, like there, it's it flattens off. Mm. So essentially, if you think about it, it's like. So in this like complete blood count, like the, the values you get, what does that mean? Like the values you get are changing a lot, like from zero to like, there's a change in values Mm. from zero to 30 and then a relative like stability of values from like 40 to 60. And then at the age of like around 60, those, it starts to take off again. Like the variance increases again. Mm. So, so, so one the first you you so there are many variables right you when you do the analysis there's only a couple of variables that are really really important to like nin, increase linearly with your aging so what are those two variables on those two dimensions what are those what do you mean it's you say there's a two dimension com- that yeah principal component analysis no, no 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 you but yeah this you found there's a two dimensions right but what are those dimensions I, I mean, they're they're linear, like I mean, they're linear combinations of like all dimensions, right? Like that's how PCA works. <laughs> yeah, maybe explain that briefly because most people <laughs> aren't gonna know, Mike. All okay, right, well, okay, okay. Well, I thought no. sometimes I, th- I found I I thought sometimes the principal component component analysis when you have like for example like ten thousand variables, right? You identify the most the two most principal ones. Right. Sometimes they do projection, but sometimes into a different dimension. But sometimes they identify the, the like, like feature extractions. Right, you find the most two most important ones. Right, in the top three. Right. Well, yeah, feature extraction is usually about like finding features rather than mm-hmm. ex- determining which features. Like if you already have variables that are and you're looking for which ones are most significant, I don't think you'd call that feature extraction because you already have the features. You're just finding which ones are most important. Okay. So like with principal component analysis, yeah, it's like you have a bunch of data. How do I describe this? But Mike's like, yeah, it's like a linear combination of your variables, and you find if one linear combination, you know, reflects most of the change or the most significant uh, correlation within the data. I remember, right. did you take SADS? Do you remember eigenfaces? This is going to be a super niche <laughs> reference. Yeah. He he did. There's this I'm, thing called eigenfaces yeah. where he took principal component analysis of pictures of faces. Mm. So what? So the data is like the the uh, intensity of the pixel, right? It was just grayscale mm. images, so like zero to two fifty five. Okay, so like you have, but it's a matrix because it's an image. So you have, you know, hundred thousands, hundreds or thousands of variables which is the intensity of each pixel 
the first component when you do PCA on these is an image. It's an entire image. And I think one of the main things it found was, and what it shows you is not like an image of a person, but like the most significant parts that changed. So like one of the most significant things I think was actually facial hair because of the difference between mm. men and women. So like you had this thing where, where beards were, were was really, uh, Sating. Strong. So like the principal yeah. components had those like were bright, which meant they were very impactful as one of the main differentiators. Features, so anyway, so yeah. that's, so it created an image that was the first principal component, which is itself a combination of all the variables of interest. Yeah. So I guess my question is like, when you're talking, when you just say eigenfaces, you say, oh, and the beers are the, you know, the most, like one of the most salient features. I guess my, my question for mine was like, what is the, most salient features that mm. once you do the analysis, what's the what's the beer equivalent of in the blood analysis? Oh, right? well, I, I mean, I honestly don't know. I mean, it okay. could just. I mean, it because I, I it could be like essentially what you're asking is what like uh, I guess what is the weight on each of like you know the red blood cell count, the white blood yeah. cell count, completely. Yeah, yeah. I thought so, it was maybe the most important thing is the red blood cell count up. White blood cell count, something like that. I don't know. Right, right, right. Yeah. I, to be honest, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, okay. uh, so basically, it just uh, sort of it didn't go in necessarily in depth to the PCA, like you know, like what were gotcha. the eigenvalues and yeah, that type of stuff. So I it just showed this very nice graph that you know, like I say, had change for like you know, very clear change from like zero to thirty, stability from thirty to sixty, and then you know, like sixty plus is change again. So, um, and basically what they say there is you have sort of like early age, like the developmental part of life, you have sort of middle age where things are stable and then you have sort of older age, like, or an aging portion of life. So, um, so they decided to basically, um, so, uh, so, I mean, I guess a lot of when like that sort of grow and then stabilize so like a log linear or like a sort of a logarithm type look um to uh two graphs is i guess is something when you look at animals like how animals grow like there was a they cited a paper that basically showed like almost universally like a lot of animals follow sort of that logarithm type look um, with, uh, uh, we're basically like early in life, there's sort of rapid growth and then it levels off in adulthood and there's sort of a stable state, like when it comes to like body mass. Okay. Yeah. So the, dyna- so the dynamics of sort of the complete blood count sort of follow that logarithm look like right up until, uh, you know, like some point in middle age, like, right. So they follow that sort of, uh, that logarithm look and then, subsequent to that is where it sort of destabilizes is what they say so Mm. what they did is they essentially fit uh, and again i do not want to get into the math and like the the actual model but like they essentially fit some type of like predictive model that they referred to as a hazard model to uh, to data essentially it was a risk model like your risk to die they fit to the cbc variables to like mortality and morbidity yeah um, mo- for, yeah yeah for ages 40 plus okay so the so after fitting that model uh, they so that model essentially took as input 
the uh like the variables of the blood test and its output was a single number and that single number was associated with your risk to die essentially mm-hmm. um so and they referred to that as dosi which was i see yeah. so they have a maybe 150 years old is 100 percent you're gonna die the risk is 100 percent I mean, yeah, I mean, essentially, yes. So I guess uh, some of the key things that they looked at with this dosi number was that basically, so dosi was a, a measurement of like dynamics, like they claimed. So, uh, so basically like these blood counts, the, like the dynamics of these blood counts were related to like the dynamics of your health. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically they looked at, so, uh, I mean, so dosi increased, so from 40 to 80, like, you know, it was a pretty linear increase again. And when they looked at individual patients' dosi signals, so basically like how the dosi value of individual patients changed over time, uh, they used autocorrelation. So like, uh, so say you had a signal like, okay, this is this person's like number, like this is their, like their health number and th- it's going up because uh, you know the dosi number is going up because they get a cold right so the so the like white blood cells went up and you know the red blood cells went up to help fight the infection and then they returned to sort of like their healthy baseline okay and then you know they suffered some type of injury so again white blood cells up and so so there's a, sort of a cycle that occurs when okay um, sort of you deviate from the healthy baseline and then you return to the healthy baseline. But the healthy baseline is sort of what's there. So, so yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, So autocorrelation is basically, I'm going to take that signal of that patient and shift it and like basically look at how well they correlate, like depending on how much I shift it. Mm-hmm. So if you're a reasonably healthy person and it takes you very little time to return to your healthy baseline, then Mm. basically the autocorrelation is going to be like most strong, like just with minimal shift. Because essentially it's like, okay, you deviate, you go back. And then like, you know, your healthy baseline corresponds to like, you know, this part right here. Like, I mean, so... Like you're, you, the correlation is just going to be like very close because you're very rarely deviating from the healthy baseline and it takes you no time to get back there. Whereas if you're less healthy, so like say like, you, you know, you're 80 and you break your hip and you're healthy, like so, and you know, it takes you three months. It takes you longer. It just takes longer, right? Right. So, but so okay. when you do the auto correlation, hmm. That means that basically you're going to find that the autocorrelation is highest, like when the shift is more profound, like month, like weeks or months. So when they grouped people by age and did this autocorrelation, essentially that's, they found that the correlation was stronger in like 40 to 50 with, with like very short windows of time. But they found once you got up to like 70 or 80, the autocorrelation was stronger when, once you went to like months of time, like so much longer periods of time. So uh, so basically then they were able to do like a, a regression 
to say like, okay, if we just sort of extend this, like the autocorrelation is like, you know, once you get up to 120 to 100 is just like so long that it, it like essentially it's indicating your body won't recover. Like before, you know, there's just more. <laughs> so that's how so, 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 so how they do the prediction, right? The model to predict like, the risk. But yeah. what's, I guess, what does this have to do with healing though? Well, so I mean, so so I guess the they're using the complete blood count as an indicator of when you're deviating from a healthy baseline, right? Okay. So mm-hmm. we, I guess, defined at the beginning, we sort of defined that a healthy base, like deviation from a healthy baseline requires healing. Okay. So basically what they're saying is like they're examining with this autocorrelation how long it takes you to return to a healthy baseline. Okay. And what they're saying is as you age, so at age 40, it's like the amount of time to return to the healthy baseline is very minimal compared to the time it takes when you're like 70 to 80. Okay. And that sounds like very common sense to a lot of people, right? What do you need to uh, write a paper about it, I guess? Well, yes, but this is, I guess, like, this is looking quantified. at physiology. This they, is they quantified. Magic. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yes. So, and basically, I guess it sort of, um, like, if their metrics, like, are, like, I guess, reasonable and are to be believed, then mm-hmm. it uh, provides you, like, a mathematical way to look forward. Like, how old could we live if if this aging, you know, were to continue? Like, if we age this way, then, like, how old could we live to? Yeah. I mean, no, no, yeah, go ahead, Matt. All right, Mike. So, what I was going to ask is, are you going to start doing your uh, yearly annuals again, collecting your CBC data and do a dosi model on yourself and see yes. what, you know, your, how your regression compares to find your maximum lifespan? Right. Uh, that, uh, I, I don't know if I'm, I, I may just try to uh stop going to the doctor and just uh <laughs> and until i can figure out how to prevent aging okay. yeah so so yeah so i guess the main i thought the main topic is going to be about how to prevent us from aging and healing right healing faster improve our healing so did the paper is anything about that or did you find any ways of you can do that give, right. give, give me some useful stuff so i can use all right. Yes. So, well, uh, well, I mean, so unfortunately, I think a lot of the helpful stuff at this point is sort of stuff we've already talked about, like not smoking, eating healthy, regular exercise, like the boring stuff that is valid. Um, but I mean, this is like, a, so I guess. Well, I have di- you have you not heard about the rat study? How they. What if- the rat study. There's only been one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so basically, they transfuse like uh, young rats' blood into mm-hmm. uh, older rats. Like they basically, you know, transfuse uh, the a new a young younger rat's blood into the new it's the, the older rat blood, and the rat, older rat became uh, really energized, and I think became very much healthy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right? Have you heard of that before? So I'm saying that one way to increase your health and then prevent aging is to get young people's blood and then put it in your body, basically. <laughs> All right. I have an alternative yeah. approach I've heard about that might be slightly more feasible. Mm-hmm. Uh, have y'all heard about, there's like a name for it. It's like low calorie dieting or something. 
What do you mean? I mean, my approach, my proposal, is pretty feasible too. You just get young people to donate blood and just, you know, put it in your body. I mean, so, yeah, go ahead. Man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like it might be hard to get young people's blood in mass quantities, but there's at least some evidence. It, there's good evidence in animals that like fairly significant calorie restriction increases longevity, like a good yeah. bit. Yeah. Um. You know, like. Like you're not literally, obviously you don't starve yourself to death because that would be counterproductive, but like you go pretty low, right? So you end up fairly skinny. And, and I think the intu- the intuition would be you literally run your biological clock kind of slower, right? Your cells mm. don't, I think your cells might literally not divide as fast and stuff when they're more stressed in terms of energy and whatnot. I don't know if that's accurate. But significant calorie restriction for long term, so you yeah, just that's live why... skinny, but then you get to be, you know, maybe you get a couple decades of healthy living out of it. I don't know. Yeah, that's why a lot of people recommend like uh, fasting. Yeah, fasting is a good way to you know, uh, so, do it for you as well. So fasting, I do. Th- fasting is good, but I don't think it's exactly the same, right? Because you could eat mm. like you could fast one day a week, but then still eat a lot on the other days, and you could get say you could work out a bunch and be big, right? Okay. So now for the fasting may have health benefits but i don't think in this case i don't think it would affect aging that much what they're talking about is like the consistently having a restricted diet as a means to literally slow down your metabolism and right. uh, thus the aging process yeah i mean cell division i think probably is a major piece of yeah i mean literally because so i mean i guess one of the points i uh so a lot of papers sort of sort of went to is aging is caused by epigenetic factors. Mm. So before as- you, before you go there, I, I want to go back to my uh, blood thing. Yeah. So what about donating blood? I feel like a lot of people say, Oh, donating blood is good for you. Right. You go donate and then you, you actually blood regenerates. Right. So does that actually help with your health? Like improve your health or maybe aging as well. Like if you, huh. you know, uh, donating blood now you go. Yeah. I mean, I could see it, like, I could see your body becoming better at producing red, like, I mean, like, so, I mean, in cycling and stuff, or different sports, like, a lot of people get caught, like, blood doping, Mm -hmm. which is basically uh, where you inject red blood cells so you can carry more oxygen, so you can perform better in, you know, the Tour de France, or for example. Mm. Uh, So, basically... So, they they probably read a rest study, (laughs) If, uh, yeah, That's maybe. That's basically they... what it is. It is, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, they, so they, I guess, I think they save their own blood to inject, maybe. Gotcha. Um, but, but I mean, I guess I could see like donating blood. If you donate blood with some regularity, like your body may like get better or more efficient at producing red blood cells or something. And then, you know, hmm. so you... yeah, I wonder if maybe that's why women live longer because they, you know, they bleed every month. So maybe that's one way <laughs> right that is a novel idea yeah. i've i feel like i've heard a lot of things in my life and i've never heard that before oh really i heard i heard of that before and that's why i bring it up so, really okay yeah. i mean maybe maybe just my <laughs> novel idea and that the, I thought the doctors of. who were doing bloodletting in like the 1700s were right all along <laughs> okay no, yeah. I mean, women tend to weigh less, eat healthier, and uh, not, mm-hmm. yeah, and live, like, it, generally, they hit a lot of the healthier marks on, like, on a population level. But gotcha. In any case, uh, so, yeah, so basically, I guess, if, like, if we are to age better, 
So like, so if this, we don't want this 120 to 150 to be a maximum, we need to age better. So, um, I guess that led me to ask, like, like, I guess what causes aging? And I mean, like, there's sort of like the very, like, I guess philosophical, like, why do we age or something like that? But, and I mean, there's lots of theories about like, oh, it's just stuff going wrong. There's sort of like the evolutionary theories that, make pretty good sense to me which is basically like hey like it makes sense we age because it's like we have offspring who can be be like who can you know be better you know like survival of the fittest and basically it makes sense for the old like less fit to die off right because Mm -hmm. there's limited resources so like the new next generation is sort of how the species improves um and there's we've sort of served our purpose once we've had offspring but um, so that's, I guess, uh, sort of like you can take or leave those theories, I guess. But I, I guess I was more curious in like the physiological, like, why do we age? So a lot of papers talk about w- what are epigenetic factors. So basically the idea here is uh, like, of course, if your DNA is damaged or changes, like we have genetic diseases and genetic conditions that show us like bad stuff happens when your DNA changes, like you were healthy and your DNA changes, Mm -hmm. but like epigenetic factors is changes in how your genes are expressed. Like when your DNA doesn't change. Mm. So basically, um, I mean, again, it makes sense like that we need like some type of like when we're maturing, for example, like we need our cells to produce proteins differently than when we're like babies and or like when we've sort of reached that sort of healthy uh like fully matured state at like you know 35 or whatever like we need our cells to produce like proteins differently than when we're going through adolescence or something like that like where we need our body to grow so uh there's different i guess factors that come into play that cause our genes to express themselves differently depending on where we are in life. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, so one of the ones that comes up a lot is called methylation. So, and methylation is or DNA methylation, which I think may have been what Matt was sort of talking about. Um, when, uh, like I either last week or a couple of weeks ago, I mean, so DNA methylation is essentially where uh, there's a compound that binds to certain um, certain genes that can cause the genes to like either like a, a gene that is dominant or was active. Mm-hmm. And this binding will actually essentially turn it off. Hmm. Or there are like demethylation where it's like there are these uh, there's this chemical compound that binds to a certain you know, location in the DNA associated with a gene. And, and essentially this bind, uh, bind will break and that will allow the gene to activate differently or more. And so this methylation process allows essentially like genes to be turned on, off, or expressed in slightly different ways. Hmm. So this has been a, like a key point associated with aging because like in older people, there's like, a profound amount of evidence like that, like there's hypomethylation mm-hmm. uh, like associated with like the occurrence of like cancers and things like that, which sort of makes sense. Like if genes are being expressed that weren't being expressed before, like and more proteins are being made, it sort of makes sense that cells may like develop like 
rapidly or something like that. So, uh, but I guess that, so like, I guess these epigenetic factors, um, are sort of what would need to be treated to like prevent aging. Like we, we essentially just need to look at those and understand like once we re- reach that like health, like if we're a healthy 40 year old, like how do we just like conserve how our cells are like allow ourselves to keep functioning in the same way as opposed to like, Did yeah. You, yeah. Did you find out how? Well, I mean, there are no solid uh, leads, but, or, well, that's not entirely true. So, like, I, okay. so I brought up tele, telomeres earlier. Yeah. Like, those are one of the things that keep coming up. So those are, uh, as I said, sort of repeated chemicals, uh, like, uh, chemical bases that, like, end a DNA strand. And the, the, the idea is that they prevent damage to the DNA strand. But mm-hmm. they get shorter throughout life. Like, almost mm-hmm. essentially every single time, a uh like every single time a cell reproduces those are going to get shorter and there are chemicals that are in certain cells that can actually help protect the telomeres or whatever or like keep them long but they're not in very many cells like the like i I, it's like telomerase or something i i didn't spend a ton of time reading this because my like my expertise is not biology it's like i want to learn more but i uh didn't get to dive too deep into it, but essentially like the idea is like, if you can, I guess, keep these, you know, telomeres as long as possible or, mm-hmm. or, you know, like the length, you know, keep them from getting too Shorter. short. Yeah. Too short, whatever two is in this case, then you can presumably help with the aging process because even um, like uh, there is, there are studies that I was able to find showing like, like shorter telomeres lead to like, you know, hypomethylation and like, you know, so those types of things where it's, um, where basically like genes are being activated and like inactivated in ways that they shouldn't be. So, okay. It sounds like this might be something that you have to prevent rather than reverse. Well, telomeres maybe like, cause I think I've heard of people like successfully extending telomeres and like rats or something, but mm-hmm. When it comes to like the epigenetic factors, right? Like if you imagine there's, you know, DNA is properly, you know, it has the proper, what organization, methylization, whatever to express the right genes in the right places. But mm-hmm. like if that breaks down, right, it's kind of like a loss of information. Like how would your cell like rebuild or recreate the proper methylization of its DNA, right? Like where would that information come from? It's just, if it's scrambled just over time by random events, which would suggest that would be very difficult to like fix, right? You'd either have to like replace the cells with, you know, fresh ones or just, you need to prevent that process from happening. Right. Does that seem consistent? No, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think that's true. So that's why I guess I was interested in like, I mean, maybe shoes example of like a rat, like, you know, actually like having young, healthy cells introduced and helping Mm -hmm. with like, you know, a rat. So, I mean, potentially could we say like oh this is what like essentially a healthy cell would look like you know a kidney cell in a person who's you know 10 years younger and could we introduce some type of you know splicing to like repair the genes and i mean i guess it's possible i mean i don't know i just don't know enough about 
cutting edge yeah. biology to say much more. So how does how does exercise does does exercise help aging? Like yeah. slow you down and and is and then I guess and then if it does, then how does actually how does it how does exercise uh, slow down aging? Because and it's, I think most people say, oh yeah, I mean it seems very obvious from personal experience as well, right? If you just feel much better if you exercise, just feel younger, right? So I guess um, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, exercise. I, I mean it. I, I mean I, I think I, I mean basically I think a lot of these studies are pretty. Uh, pretty straightforward and just in the sense that they like will look at a healthy lifestyle like whether it be exercise or whether it be like uh, food you know nutrition um and basically they just correlate like those types of things with i mean at a high at a very high level with things like you know like more mortality rate and things like that and they show okay there's a correlation between healthy lifestyle yeah and more, yeah and, but like, but yeah. yeah but i guess my my, my question is how do you and it's from maybe based on what you're reading so far. Do you have any inkling on how exercise helps? Maybe it maybe prevent the telomere became shorter or stuff like that. Do you know? And how how does exercise work on the helps you slow down aging? That's I mean I think that's a multi billion dollar question. Because um, so, I mean, it, it, I think at this point it's like okay, exercise uh, and you know, new good nutrition and all that do like they do help like tell me uh, and actually like interestingly, I know I saw an article about like if you sit like in a like what are those things where it's like you go uh, like in the Mariana Trench or whatever, like do you go way underwater and that like a decompression tank is that what it is? Like you come up to the surface and like, if you sit, like if you sit in like a decompression tank for like three hours a week or something, mm. like they showed like an ability to like, uh, alleg- like, again, this is a small study and I feel like allegedly, yeah, this, this, uh, but they, I think they uh, like showed like some increase in like telomere length or something. So mm. increase. Yes. So, so there are all these different studies going on that are showing like, oh, if you do this, like it can help slow like telomere, uh, you know, uh, shortening and, or it can increase the length or, but I guess the mechanism and, and of course there's like, you know, there's still a question about like, is it, does it just come down to telomere length when it comes to aging or is this like, issue with like methylation and like you know genes being turned on and off and or being um like or being expressed differently is that mm. going to be happening regardless of that or is telomere tied but not like a hundred percent the reason for that or or is it just like you know as the telomeres get shorter more stuff starts to go wrong i mean if it's that simple then there's lots of studies i guess looking at like not necessarily I mean, I'm sure they're looking at the mechanisms as to what shortens them, but it's, uh, but it's just mm. more about like, well, what do we do? Is it just a question of we do whatever it takes to lengthen them, or do we, you know, is there more going on? So I think it, gotcha. I think it's very complex. So, yeah. but so basically, I think so. I guess the my answer to like how do we live longer than 120 to 150 is like understand like better understand the mechanisms underlying these like epigenetic changes in gene expression 
and, you know, trying to find solutions to, you know, prevent changes once we hit like a healthy adult age. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it just just when you talk about hypergenetic, it just sounds to me that's something that we cannot really control, right? You know, I guess I've, I mean that's the fundamental mechanism. So, so yeah, so I guess, uh, so I guess my last question would be like, what again, like what can we do to? I, I think you mentioned the solutions, right? Uh, we are looking for the solutions. So, do you have any like maybe solution we can use right now? Well, I mean, I think, right, like I say, right now, it, I think it's just a lot of boring stuff. Like I say, yeah. eat health, eat healthy, exercise, and, but I mean, it's uh, like, and I guess make sure like your nutrition is good. You have like the vitamins and minerals you need, but hmm. basically, uh, I think anything beyond that is sort of just hypothetical at this point. Gotcha. And go ahead, Matt. I didn't have anything. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess, uh, so I was looking into the how to, I was thinking, so you, you, cause you were talking about you were going to talk about healing. So I was thinking, okay, what can I do to train my mind to heal my body? Right. And then the quick, 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 quick Google search actually came out with something. So one thing is like, uh, like be more optimistic, mm. right? Because I think if you know if you be optimistic, you know it kind of boosts your immune system, immunity, so you can heal better, right? So, so that's why I was surprised when you talk about this. This episode is going to be very depressing. So I was like, oh, this is not good. This is not going to be good for my healing. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I, so I, as I said earlier, there is a, uh, I guess, a positive. Like they, there was a yeah. recent article posted saying that more and more people will be live to like live to be a hundred, a hundred and ten or more. So uh, I mean, I guess we're like, and I think that's because like we are figuring out more and more ways to like provide like exceptional yeah. the and, uh, exceptional environments like yeah. to help with healing. Okay. But, I anyway, so then let me go 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 through the seven ways you can. So the first one can basically improve your healing. The first one is make your treatment more effective by expecting them to work. It's called a placebo effect, right? Mm-hmm. Believe that PO is gonna work. And then sleep better by writing in a grat- gratitude journal. Basically be more grateful. <laughs> and then live longer by focusing on your purpose. Anyway, so there's a study showing that it helps. The fourth one is, uh, you know, be optimistic, which I, to boost your immunity. I, that's, I talked about already. And the fifth one is slow aging with meditation. So yeah, meditation, the study showing that it actually might help. And the other one is build muscle. The sixth one is build muscle by imagining, imagining yourself working out. This is very fascinating to me. <laughs> so you can actually, yeah. So I think I heard of this one before, but this actually is kind of actually study shown that, you know, you actually gain 25, 24% more muscle strength if you actually imagine you're working out as well. Of course, you won't, you won't be uh, gaining as much if you actually work out, but actually it helps too. So anyway, imagining you're working out. And the last one is to reduce your, your risk of heart disease by laughing. So yes, comedy. So. <laughs> anyway 
these are the practical solutions that you can use today. All right. I believe all of them. So, all right. So, is there anything else? Yeah, okay. Actually, the last one I want to mention is you only talk about like living longer, right? So, this is you focus on the life span, but there's something else called health, health span. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he didn't just talk about lifespan because I mean he'd explicitly talked about your ability to heal, okay. which would I feel like would come very be very strongly correlated to your health span, so to speak, right? Exactly, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, yeah, you could in the like even now, I mean, maybe they could get you to li- you know quote unquote live longer if they just like kept you hooked to a respirator and like in a hospital and like yeah, <laughs> you can never move and they just like. Yeah inject the perfect nutrient slushy into your veins yeah yeah so but yes i mean the the paper was really about like resiliency so yes so Mm. i mean so i guess in theory you could live like technically be alive have a heartbeat for longer than 150 years but it's like your just ability to bounce back maybe zero beyond that point so, so Matt, when you you were laughing when I talk when I say health span, so do you lock my health span? No, I've just you you know you've brought it up a handful of times. So it's oh, like, really? so every time you're like, look, this is about lifespan. I'm like, oh, here we go. She's going to talk <laughs> about health span again. <laughs> Interesting. Sorry. No. <laughs> Don't no. mean Actually, to be rude. Remind remind me of a there's a new form of medicine called uh now you have medical doctors right now there's a new form of doctor called a functional doctor. Right, so instead of you, uh, the goal is like to like you have a disease, you go medical 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 doctor to get your back to normal, right? But there's a another doctor is functional doctor, and actually they focus on your like how you function in daily life, mm-hmm. right? So they might probably might do more prevention, right? Instead of just you know do a annual checkup. So anyway. There might be something worth to look into to just, you know, maybe go see a functional doctor or something. I don't know how the insurance covers it, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I guess would therapy or something like that be considered like a functional doctor? Uh, no, I think this, this is more like physical. Yeah. Hmm. Or a trainer? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's an actual <laughs> doctor. All right. Here's my thoughts. Mm-hmm. doesn't the island of okinawa in japan have like the oldest people mm-hmm. so sushi i think you just got to eat more sushi i think that's pretty much the key i'll go get some after this for my um, health i'm sure it has yeah. nothing to do with them sharing like having similar dna <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> actually sushi can be bad too because uh, if you add too much fish because fish actually has a lot of mercury in them so if you ate too much sushi, you might get brain damage. So you be careful with that too. So damn pollution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh well. So if you eat, if you eat a lot of sushi, you maybe maybe you should get like get your like I think it's blood or your brain scan tested. So make sure that you don't get anything in your brain that is like maybe a lot of mercury in there or something like that. So if you have a lot of headaches, that might be good too. I I might need to do one for myself when I have a good insurance. So. <laughs> And you just need to find some place that serves nice factory farmed fish in a clean, sterile environment. Yeah. Anyway, so is that good for today? Yeah. All right. I think that's it. (laughs) Uh, This was, uh, you know, a long podcast. 
No, that was uh, that was reasonably long, but yes. So I guess what did we talk about today? We talked about energy, a new type of energy. We talked about like quotes I cannot remember. <laughs> Benjamin okay. Franklin and uh, Mike shit on metacognition as a worthless idea. I didn't say it was worthless. I said no, metacognition said. is good in uh, metacognition <laughs> is good in um in moderation. That is uh-huh. nice. Don't try to gaslight us, Mike. We have the recording. So, so Mike brought it up. It's very good. So we talk about first principle thinking. It's the first mental model that we talk about. In the future, of course, I could bring more like different models. But to end, I guess, uh, I forgot to mention one of the quote from Richard Feynman, the second most famous physicist, physicist in the world, right? So anyway, so his uh, quote. Yeah, go, go. What? I'm, I would give the second most famous to Newton. Oh, okay. And then that's pretty good, I guess. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We'll give them third. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. The third I mean, most. What? I, I mean, there. I feel like you have your celebrity physicist, right? Richard Feynman is one of the celebrities, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, Neil deGrasse Tyson is more famous than him at this point, as well as Michu Kaku, probably. <laughs> okay. Is Neil <laughs> no Tyson they... an actual physicist? I don't know what like the his background is. Neil deGrasse Tyson? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's a. Of cosmophysicist, right? Yeah, he's a he, he's a he's an astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> well, I well, cannot like believe you just talk. say I cannot believe you just say Neil deGrasse Tyson is not not a physicist. I didn't know what he like his actual because he talks about science stuff, but yeah. like you know, not everyone who does like is a not everyone oh, who talks no, about no, physics you mean, is a physicist. You're talking about a science guy. Yeah, Bill Nye is an engineer. There's people on YouTube who do like great content on physics that aren't yeah. like physicists. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe you could say they are, even if they don't have like an official degree. But that's yeah, a no, no, topic. Neil deGrasse Tyson definitely is a astrophysicist. I think he got a degree from either Yale or Harvard. I'm not sure one of those. Columbia, right? Columbia. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Yeah, Columbia. All right, very, uh, All right. Richard Feynman. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The so. quote is. <laughs> Since we talk about first principle, so he said, quote, uh, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself. And you are the easiest person to fool, end quote. Yeah, I think this, this is one of his uh, most famous quote, I think. So, yeah. Mm. So, so with respect to first principle, that means nothing can be trusted. So there is nothing on which to build. What? <laughs> Yep. I mean, you what said you... it related to first principle. I'm trying to figure out what you meant. Oh, it's, I guess he's just talking about the first principle about yourself that you are the most, you, you must not fool yourself. And oh. you are the easiest person to, you, to fool, I guess. Right. I don't know. Right. So, well, okay. I was mostly joking, but yeah. So, but I mean, <laughs> what you say was pretty good. It is kind of thing. Like, everything is almost like assumption, right? You assume. Even the speed of light, right? We assume it's true, but is it really true, right? It's not true until it's, I guess it's, anyway, so yeah. Do I really exist, you know? <laughs> or is everyone else in the world a figment of your imagination, Shu? You can't, I mean, how do you know? You're really just assuming. True. It's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Was that assumption? <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we're we're clearly we're stretching here, we're so I think tra- we'll, we're off the derails. Yeah, <laughs> we'll wrap right. up for this week. Do we know what we're going to do next week yet? I believe it's shoes turn. It's shoes turn. Yeah, yeah we're, we're going to talk about the business of robots, robotic businesses. 
Okay. Oh. All right. Well, um, I'm going to say, uh, just to wrap up, everyone get your yearly physical and get a blood test. So <laughs> we can nah. figure out how old we can live to. And uh, All right. All right. And and figure out how to change epigenetic factors so I don't have to die. All right. <laughs> so uh, All right. We, I'm taking us offline. So say Life goodbye, support, Robert. you mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Say goodbye to Rory, everyone, because we're no longer live. Here we go. Flop.